Hello and welcome to P4A's Let's Talk Rare monthly podcast. Every month, we at Partners for Access bring to you some of the most important news developments in the orphan drug and cell gene therapy world and what they mean to you. Hello and welcome to P4A's Let's Talk Rare podcast. My name is Chloe Shepherd. I'm Associate Consultant at Partners for Access, and I'm the internal champion for all things related to the European HTA regulation. We're very excited about this latest episode because we will be exploring the very current and important topic of the European Health Technology Assessment Regulation. This is one of the major evolutions happening in the European market for pharmaceuticals and something which is very pertinent to all of our listeners who are working on bringing new therapies to patients and it's likely to have a huge impact on the process by which new therapies are assessed for their value by European payers. To discuss this topic, we will be speaking to someone who is an expert on the European HTA regulation. That person is Alexander Natz, who is Secretary General of the European Confederation of Pharmaceutical Entrepreneurs, also known as UCOPE. Alexander is here with me now. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you very much, Chloe. And Thanks uh, to Partners for Access for inviting me. It's a great pleasure to be uh, here and talk about a very important topic. Great. It's really good to have you with us today, and we're looking forward to your insights. Before we get stuck into some questions, it'd be great if you could give us an introduction to yourself and your background and how you came to be involved in this topic. Yeah, my name is uh, Alexander Natz, as I said before. I'm uh, running a trade organization based in Brussels uh, with 140 innovative pharma uh, and biotech companies, also increasingly meta companies. I'm a lawyer by training. We are working on a variety of topics when it comes to uh, the Brussels policy agenda, all relating to pharmaceuticals, medtech and uh, biotechnology. Uh, this is certainly a file which is very relevant, which is really uh, high on our list, on our priority list. So I'm um, pleasure to be here. We're representing all innovative companies and for all of them, it's quite of high importance to cover that topic. Excellent. Thank you very much for that. Now, if we turn our attention to this European HTA regulation, which everyone in the industry seems to be talking about, we reached a major milestone in the beginning of this year with the European Commission finally adopting this very long-awaited regulation. And it means that starting in January 2025, all ATMPs, advanced therapy medicinal products, and oncology therapies will be mandated to have a joint clinical assessment at European level. Can you give us some context to the whole European HTA harmonization debate and how this came about, Alexander? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really something which has been developing over the last 10 years. I mean, uh, as we all know, we have a central marketing authorization process with EMA and the European Commission, which is really a one-stop shop procedure, I would say, to get a marketing authorization for all 27 EU member states. But what we don't have is an HTA system, what we don't have yet, but what we will soon get is one HTA system, because at the end of the day, we're talking about the same product if it's launched in in uh, uh, Slovenia, uh, Bulgaria, um, Germany, France, whatsoever, it's the same product. And industry was also very keen on having a one-stop shop procedure for the health technology assessment to generate the same data only once to please the needs of all the HTAs and payers with one dossier, which is a which is a big task. 
as we will see when we are talking later on about the methodology. But uh, that was the idea, and the commission has uh, founded UNETA, as most of you would know, some, uh, I don't know, exactly uh, eight or ten years ago, which was piloting those type of procedures for quite a long while. And that was, a, I would think that was a starting point, really. It was a voluntary exercise for industry to engage in these type of pilots, but a certain methodology has been developed, which will play a critical role when it later on comes to that mandatory process, which the commission has been putting a proposal uh, to the table some three or four years ago, which is now has now become legislation, which is a, not a voluntary process anymore, as you're rightfully saying, it's a mandatory process for all uh, ATMPs and oncology indications as of 12th of January 25, for all orphan drugs as of January 28, and for all other centrally approved medicines from 2030 onwards, and also some medical devices will be included. So we're moving from a voluntary system, we've been testing methodology to a mandatory system, and we hope that it will be a one-stop shop procedure that we wouldn't have too many requests from the national level later on to complement additional data. But that's something we can talk about later. Great, that sounds that sounds good. And you mentioned there that this uh, process is starting the shift to having this European HD assessment done, as opposed to having the national assessments. And it's currently we know that the methodology uh, for the European HTA process is being developed at the moment. So that means that currently, I think industry and a lot of other stakeholders have quite a few unanswered questions at the moment around some key aspects of the regulation and how it's going to work. And perhaps most critically, how the joint clinical assessment evaluation methodology is going to work. So if I can first ask you, under this new regulation, as we've mentioned, the joint clinical assessments will be mandatory at EU level, but the pricing and reimbursement decisions will still remain the responsibility of the member states. So can you provide some more detail on what this could look like or how that might work? Yeah, it's a very important distinction you're making there, really, uh, because the EUHTA is only about the clinical part. Because in the health technology assessment at the national level, there are differences. Some uh, member states are more driven by economics. They have an economic part as well. And other member states, like Germany, they only look at the clinical value of the medicine. They produce a report after a half year, and then that report uh, has a certain grading mechanism, how much better the product is than what we have been comparing it to. And then on the basis of this dossier, you enter price negotiation. So that part, the grading, if I may call it this way, and also the price discussions, negotiations, price setting mechanisms, it's different in the country, that will remain national because it's about budget control. It's about national healthcare budgets. And member states were not willing to hand that over to Brussels to say, like, um, we, we, we are not dealing with that anymore. They want to keep control about their healthcare budgets. And that's the reason why. Um, that was off the table from the beginning, even in the Commission proposal. The price negotiations remain in the national competency. That's very important. However, the starting point of the whole exercise, the entry door of the whole thing, of the whole procedure, is really at the EU level as of 2025 for some products. One of the most important things when we are talking about health technology assessments, it's about selecting the comparator. What is the comparator? What is the standard medical practice for a certain disease? That's not always easy to do. There's not always one opinion only about what the comparator is. And um, it's not easy to do, especially when, when we're talking about rare diseases where very often we don't have any therapy alternative. 
The reason why that is so important is because a comparator has a price. And if at the EU level, they would select a comparator and it has a very cheap price, the company will be potentially struggling later on in the national price negotiations to really uh, achieve a good price level for that medicine. So the point I'm making here, the selection of the comparator is so critical, and that is to be done in the future at the Brussels level uh, in a so-called coordination group, uh, which is comprised of national uh, HTA bodies. And that's a very important thing. Also, they will decide about the endpoint. What is the ultimate goal of these type of HTA studies, which I have to submit in my dossier? So very important questions are addressed in the beginning of the procedure and the beginning of the procedure starts in Brussels. That's why what it makes it so important, even though there's national decision making processes about the value, the grading is national and also ultimately the price negotiations. But nevertheless, there's a very important starting point in Brussels uh, when it comes to the comparator selection and the endpoint selection. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense and completely agree with the comparator selection, especially being so critical, given what we see at the moment at the national with the national system is in a lot of countries you're looking, they're looking for the added clinical value over the comparator as a main driver often of the price. Um, so with that shifting, that comparator needing to be applicable um, at the EU level and assess EU level instead, and then that being translated into the price and reimbursement negotiations at a national level, that's quite a shift. Absolutely. So if I can ask you my next question then, which is how do you think the previous uh, UNETA HTA work, specifically the Joint Action 3 work, which is the most recent one, how is that going to feed into the joint clinical assessment methodology? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the impact of what has been done in UNETA over the last again, I don't know exactly, eight to 10 years, uh, it will be very big. It will be, it will be ha having a very big impact here. You can already see that the vendor selected by the European Commission to set the, to help drafting the methodology is UNETA 21, which is a successor of UNETA. And I think all those pilots, all, this, all these methodologies and procedures we have been developing in UNETA have been somewhat aligned procedures among the member states. So you can already see that for a political process, uh, like the setting of the methodology, they will start with the UNETA methodology. And I've already heard some key decision makers saying that, yes, we might not always have had an agreement on the UNETA methodology and where we did not have had an agreement, we will come back to that point and seek a political uh, alignment here for the mandatory procedure here for our methodology, which we are designing right now. But it will be clearly the starting point of all those methodology discussions in Brussels for the next uh, two years. And uh, that's really very important. I mean, there are clear signs that this is the starting point. And also the fact that they have been selecting UNETA 21 as a vendor, um, in a way, makes sense because there is a consensus to a certain degree about this methodology. So why not starting with that methodology, which has been aligned partly? I'm not saying it's perfect. I mean... You could say like for orphan drugs, there is not so much in there in terms of like to consider the specifics of orphan drugs and ATMPs. So there's not so much of a distinct procedure for those type of products, distinct methodology, but I think that's the starting point and they will further develop that. And in the regulation, it's already said they have to take into consideration the, the unique status of orphan drugs and also ATMPs and also vaccines. So there will be something developed in that respect. Great. Excellent. Thanks for giving some clarity on that. 
we can now move on to thinking about what some of the key challenges and opportunities are in terms of this regulation. I think you've already mentioned a couple of them. If we can first start with the challenges then, what do you see as the main ones with implementing this regulation between now and 2025? I want to, to make one point which is very critical. Just to complete the picture, we are not only talking about joint clinical assessment, we are also talking about joint clinical consultations, what we would call scientific advice in our in our countries, right? And we know that at the regulatory level, but also at the HTA pricing and reimbursement level, seeking scientific advice is something which is critical. All companies do that two years before they launch. They want to have their regulatory strategy vetted by the uh, decision makers later on. The same holds true for the market access strategy. So it's really important here that we're getting enough slots for scientific advice. It's one of the key points which we're making to the commission. The, the whole process, the joint scientific consultations, it's, the budget comes from the, from the EU budget, which is somewhat limited, but we're making the case that we need to have enough capacity and also enough financial resources for the company to give the opportunity to talk to the decision makers about their endpoints, about the comparator, because it's very hard to meet the demand of someone if you didn't have the opportunity to talk before about your product, how the decision maker sees your product. Then only you can correct and steer a certain study design in a, um, a certain study in a certain direction. So it's really critical that we get enough slots for all products undergoing that procedure for scientific advice or what we will call joint scientific consultations in the future. The second challenge I, I see is, uh, and, and you mentioned that before, that we might see a lot of additional data requests at the member state level later one, because as you know, the member states can ask for additional data. I would say they cannot ignore the joint scientific assessment. They have to take it into consideration, but what means they have to take it into consideration? They can draw their own conclusions. They can even force the company to submit a national dossier. I don't think that's very likely because nobody wants to work at the Brussels level and align on something there. And then later on at the member state level, do the whole exercise in a different way again. I don't think that's the intention of, of many HTA bodies. So I'm optimistic here that there will be quite some alignment and maybe some additional data questions. I, I hope that can be handled, but it's an important issue because then we are losing our one-stop shop idea here. The other thing is really about multiple comparators because we we will be talking about methodology and methodology might look different and uh, in in the members at the member state level the selection of comparators might be driven more by cost containment considerations in some countries choosing a cheap comparator as an ultimate goal while in other countries it's purely on the clinical practice of the physician what what the physician do if that product which we're assessing here is not available so what is the physician doing today without that product and that is a more the, cl the clinical view. And I personally think that's the right view and not to drive too much cost containment considerations into these discussions. But you can already see that there's a certain likelihood that we will have more uh, comparator requests than just one for some products. For some of them, it might even be three comparators to be where the data is generated at the EU level and then where the state can pick and choose their comparator from those three and take that process for further at the national level. So I'm, I'm, I hope that we're not getting too many comparator requests here. That's another important point. Next to some other issues about participation of industry in that process. Uh, I think that's gonna be a big discussion over the next couple of months and years. 
that we have the opportunity or really also to talk during the an ongoing procedure here and there to have a hearing process um, that needs to be secured. Makes sense. That's great. Thank you. Um, just going back to your point about you're hopeful that the, there won't be additional, too many additional data requests at the national level beyond what's submitted in the joint clinical assessment dossier. And we know that a lot for a lot of these national systems, an assessment of the health economic data and the economic considerations around a new therapy are taken, taken into account significantly in some of these markets. So I assume that will be an area where at the national member state level, the industry will have to submit data beyond what's done at the European level. Is that fair to assume? Absolutely. It's fully correct what you're saying. Uh, the EU HCA is only about the clinical part and the uh, health technology part, if conducted, it's not conducted in all the countries, uh, is done at the national level. So there is a lot to do at the national level. The procedure which we're starting in Brussels will move on quickly into a national procedure that leads ultimately to price negotiations about a medicine. And, and I think you're absolutely right. Well, the health economics part will be part of the national procedure only, it won't be dealt with in Brussels. But what I meant is the selection of the comparator could be driven by cross-containment considerations, selecting a cheap one rather than selecting the most clinical relevant comparator. I think that is really an important one uh, because if we get a comparator simply because it's cheap, then we have something in the process which is which is defining the whole process until it's end the price negotiations. Makes sense. Thank you. So my next question is around uh, the UNETA 21 and how that methodology has been evolving. And what we've seen is that the GBA and ICWIG from Germany have been increasingly involved in this process. So how, if at all, do you see this influencing the final methodology? First of all, it's interesting to see two agencies on the German ticket to be involved in that process. And there was a long discussion about, I mean, in Germany, GBA is a real uh, HDA institution, and, and you can consider uh, ICRIC as, as, as more as a scientific-driven, I would say, even service provider supporting GBA in that process, which has been very much involved in the, in the international discussions around UNETA for, for the whole time. So that's the reason why uh, ICRIC also wanted to be there. So we have two seats, but one vote only, of course, in Germany about this process. So they share the vote. So back to your point in terms of like who influences, that's a bit hard to say. I mean, the French presidency had a big event in Paris in March where all the HTA bodies were present. And my feeling is really that they're really building a network on the, I, I guess, on the 21st or 22nd of June, I think on the 21st, they will have the first coordination meeting. The persons have been have been selected who are part of this coordination committee, which will be a very critical committee for decision-making processes. So I would think that at the end of the day, it's not going to be Germany only to drive the methodology. But as I said before, they will start with, with a UNETA methodology, which has already been developed. And where they have uh, no alignment, they will go into uh, an in-depth discussion to set the methodology. For example, in Germany, it's all about patient-relevant endpoints. I don't think that they will lose that idea that patient-relevant endpoints are very important for them. So I think the system will give some flexibility, but I'm not HTA expert per se, how you can do that, how you can uh, handle patient-relevant endpoints and also allow for other endpoints, how to combine that, that's probably not so easy in a political process, 
but I haven't heard about any signs that Germany would, would be the guiding uh, nation there in that respect only and that everyone would follow. There are some other ideas on the table, but it's always, like always about Brussels, it's about a political compromise and they would have to find a compromise. And it, once again, I think the regulation says very clearly that all the member states need to see their needs reflected in the dossier. That means that if I think my comparator is A and another country thinks it's B, both will be the comparator. And by that means, you will reflect a lot about the national needs, uh, what they want to see. And, and also, I think they can also spell out cl more clearly what type of endpoints they want to see. And if they say in, in pathway B, we want, want, want to focus on the patient relevant endpoints, that, that might be a way also to address this. But it's a bit like about the crystal ball. We don't know all yet uh, exactly how that would uh, play out and look like in, in, in two years' time. Uh, absolutely, and completely agree that it's going to be ever important that cooperation happens between these national HCA agencies and that we can reach alignment. Um, it'll be interesting to see see how that pans out, and especially going back to your point about endpoints and patient-relevant endpoints, particularly being uh, really important in the German system at the moment, and how that's going to translate to something which is acceptable for all of the European countries. Yeah, exactly. I don't think they will they, they will hand that over to something else. I think the German, your point is very valid. The German delegation will make sure that that they can stick to their patient relevant endpoints in a way. If others want to go in another direction in assessing these products, that might also be possible. But I don't know how to combine that. That's a difficult question, really. I must say. I mean, at the end of the day, we should have one methodology which fits all um, needs, right? So let's see. Exactly. And makes the joint scientific consultations even more important because I think what our clients are certainly thinking about at the moment is how they're going to design clinical trials, which they need to be thinking about now for 2025 and beyond, how they're going to do that, which meets the evidence requirements for this new system, um, particularly when there's not at the moment alignment. So, yeah, we need to uh, make sure that there are joint scientific consultation slots available, certainly. I think we've covered a lot of the, the challenges there in terms of the regulation, but what do you see, Alexander, as the opportunities? Yeah, I mean, of course, there are opportunities. Industry was very much in favor of what we at that time called the option four, which would make the EU HTA mandatory to be used at the national level. Now, that that has not been the case at the end of the day, but still, I think there are a lot of a lot of opportunities. Uh, having one dossier means that uh, in an ideal scenario, it's a one-stop shop. I prevent not all the national submission processes because, as you're rightfully saying, the health economic part could be another separate dossier for for the one or the other country. But I think there are a lot of opportunities in that one-stop shop system. Also from the patient perspective, I, I would hope that we will get access in uh, some countries sooner if we have an HTA assessment by a European, um, European body like the coordination group. I think that could facilitate and speed up patient access in countries which don't have their own system, which uh, uh, which uh, don't have the capacity uh, to do those HTA assessments. Um, so, so I think it's a lot about saving some resources at the HDA level. It's a procedure which kicks in very early, I must say. Uh, even prior, you have to submit the dossier prior to CHMP opinion. That's on the one hand a bit of a challenge because you don't even have a draft label at that time. 
uh, when you're submitting your dossier. On the other hand, it's good because we are early on and that is good for patient access, uh, that they get access to this medicine in an earlier scenario at a time when, uh, when the European Commission has granted the marketing authorization. So uh, lots of opportunities in that one-stop shop system, also in terms of speedy uh, patient access, I would say. Excellent, excellent. Thanks for that. If you were to advise, you know, pharma companies on how they should best be preparing for the implementation of the regulation, what would be your top recommendations? I would say stay very close to the process. Familiarize yourself with the process to the extent we have data on the table to know what it will be all about. But talk very much with key decision makers at the EU and at the national level and really have a very good strategy consultant on board who guides you through a procedure which we don't know yet at 100% level, but maybe on a, on a 60, 70% level. You have to familiarize yourself with those 70%. You have to try to seek national scientific advice and bring in the European perspective to ask them from that European perspective to say, if we were in an EU HTA procedure, like we might be in April 25, would you still see that in a similar way? You might not always get good answers because even for the institutions, they don't have the crystal ball and they don't know the other 30%, but trying to find out as much as you can, how your product would be seen in that process, be proactive about it. And I would say, start very early to talk also to payers and HTA institutions at the national level, how they see your product, because at the end of the day, it's very likely that some of those persons you're talking to in a national scientific advice procedure will be sitting on the table in the coordination group later on in Brussels and decide about your product in a new context, but they will probably give the same answer to your data, which you're presenting uh, in the national context. So come early, take that into consideration and have a very good strategy advice and, and be very close to the political decision-making processes as well. Because now we can still feed in, now we can still um, develop the right methodology for orphan medicines to make sure that historic comparisons, indirect comparisons are considered and that we are not only talking about RCT data only for orphan drugs and ATMPs to be considered, that we are also making sure that real world evidence is taken into consideration uh, later on, that we can close those data gaps later on. So I think there is, it's policy in the making that also um, involves some opportunities to make sure that that the implementation is, is done in the right way. Absolutely, thank you. And we also know that public consultations are being held by UNETA 2021 throughout this year to represent the industry perspective and, and get that taken into account. So a recommendation there for uh, manufacturers to really engage early uh, in that process and make sure the industry is, is heard. Absolutely. Excellent. Are there any final thoughts you'd like to add on the, on the topic, Alexander? Yeah, just to, just to add again and, and uh, summarize really here that this is probably among the most important dossiers from the company perspective. Uh, it's reality. Uh, it's, a, it's not a voluntary exercise anymore. More as a mandatory exercise. So prepare yourself early when you have an ATMP to be launched in 2025. Have a clear strategy whether you want to launch it before, if it's possible. In December 24, then you're in your old systems. Um, I think you have to be well prepared when you're among the first ones to undergo such a new procedure. But I'm optimistic that we can uh, really also gain some opportunities uh, from that uh, one-stop shop system. And I'm also optimistic here that at the national level, there might be some additional data requests, but that there hopefully are not too many. 
Excellent. Thank you so much for that insight. And I certainly concur that at P4A, we really uh, hope that the, the new system will lead to some, some efficiencies and some alignment and ultimately contribute to a more sustainable European ecosystem for pharmaceuticals. So thank you so much for speaking with me today, Alexander. It's been really great to get your, your insights and have a great day. Thank you very much, Chloe. It was a pleasure to uh, uh, work with you and have those questions uh, answered. And thanks also to Partners for Access for having me. Great pleasure. And that's it for this month. For more Partners for Access insight and analysis, please go to our website, www partnersforaccess.com Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts and don't forget to leave a review. We would love to hear your feedback. Thanks for listening.